Well, today we begin a brand new series called The Arena. And uh, we're really looking at, if you've seen the sign out in the lobby, the, the poster that we have for this series, you have seen this evil-looking image here. Uh, but we're talking about the battles that we face in the world. We're talking about the schemes of the enemy. We're talking about the enemy himself. And we're talking about what we are equipped with or equipped for this battle that we have. You know, evil was introduced to our world and to the scriptures that we have in Genesis chapter 3. We had this perfect setting of creation and we had Adam and Eve who had been placed in the garden to live and to do work there and to um, just, just be together and to be in communion with God. And they're in this perfect place and we see the, the snake, the serpent, come and introduce into the story the idea of deception and temptation and Eve listening to the, you know, the, the, the good words of the serpent here and, and listening to what was happening. She, she falls to this temptation and takes uh, the apple, the fruit of the tree that, that had been forbidden. And so at that point, chaos enters the story of humanity. And, and, and we're told in Revelation, I believe it's Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 9, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, that the serpent in the garden is Satan. And so we're, we're told who this character is, and we see him throughout the rest of Scripture, and we see him in, 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 in the historical stories that we have, and in present day, doing the same thing, deceiving, tempting bringing about sin and chaos and disorder. And so Genesis 3 is where that happens in the story, and it continues even to present day, even into some of our lives and our homes and our stories where, where sin or deception or chaos exists as well. And so beginning today and just for two short weeks, we're going to look at this idea of the arena where we do battle with the enemy that we have in this story the story that God is writing in the world, the story that we see the beginning portions of in Scripture. And we see the rest played out in our lives every day. And so we want to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We've been tracking in Ephesians all year long, and this is actually the last portion of our year-long study of Ephesians. And so the next two weeks, we'll look at almost the, the final verses of this book. This is what it says beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, there's a lot there. All right. And those that are closest to me know that this entire week and really for the last several weeks, I've been wrestling, no pun intended, with the idea of what to present today. There's so much. I mean, if we were to try to, to, to unpack every idea and every truth and every piece of this scripture, we could spend the next six months 
talking about this one passage of Scripture because it talks about the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. It talks about the spiritual forces and the authorities of the evil. We talk about the power of God. We talk about the armor of God, the things that God equips us with. And and so there's so much here. So I want us to look at really four key things that I find in this passage of Scripture. And the first is one that I was taught when I was a little boy. It's the idea of the armor of God. The armor is something that's kind of spelled out here in in a really great way. And Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. And this would not be, this idea of armor would not be a foreign concept to them. They're they're in the city of Ephesus. They're a part of uh, the the, the kingdom, the culture of Rome. And so the the soldier mentality, they've seen the battles, they've seen the men in, in armor. And so this imagery that Paul is using here is not... Uh, it's not a foreign idea to them. And so Paul lays out very specifically pieces of the armor of God and how that applies to their life, how they should take those things on. And so the first thing that I want you to see that I've kind of skipped over almost every time I've read this passage or been taught this passage, it says this in in verse 11 and in 13. It's not going to be on the screens, but this is what it says. Put on the full Armor of God. That's what it says in verse 11. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything, then to stand again. Now the first thing that just jumped out at me for some reason this week when I was preparing was the word full. You know, some of us, when we are fighting, you know, the enemy or we're fighting things in our lives or fighting things and we want to say, hey, I'm about the things of God. And I want God on my side. We, we kind of view the armor of God or the things that we're equipped with. And we're going we're gonna to look at all those in a few minutes as just, you know, it's kind of like fashion accessories. Right? Well, I don't really like that one. I don't understand that one. I'm not sure how that one works. So I'll wear these two. I'll do this on my own. I won't take part in this thing. I'll do this little piece over here. But what Paul lays out for us is if we're going to stand against the devil's schemes... If we're going to experience the victory through the power of God that is available to us, we must put on the full armor of God. All the things that are outlined here, understanding that we need the power of God active in our lives to find that kind of victory. So the word full is something that jumps out at me. So let's just look at each of these pieces that he he looks at here as it relates to the armor of God. The first is the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. The idea of truth is one that is so um, fought against in our culture. What is truth? Is there absolute truth? You know, what's not truth? And your truth is your truth, but my truth is my truth. The idea being here, the very first thing that Paul says is you've got to be centered. Your entire being has to be centered around truth. Not just any truth, but the truth of God and of his word. Now, the thing that the serpent got from Eve is... He got her to question what she heard God say. He got her to question in her own life what it was that God said. He, he used half truth. He used partial truth, right? To, to take the words of, of God and twist them just enough that she began to question what she believed to be truth. And, and in our own lives, maybe you have that same experience where you believed something was true. You had this idea of truth based on God or God's word or something that you'd been taught. And then something comes that doesn't just out and out throw that truth out. It doesn't say every piece of that is completely false, but it twists it in just a way that you go, wow, I didn't, I've never thought about it that way. Maybe, you know, maybe that, maybe that's true. Maybe that part of it's true. And if that's true, maybe this other part that I've believed for so long or that I thought was in the Bible or 
maybe that's not so much true. And so now I'm not sure. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, the thing that's got to hold you all together, the belt that keeps all of the armor together. One translation says, gird yourself with the belt. The idea being that I'm just going to pull all my stuff together here with the truth of God. The second thing that he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. So we want to have the breastplate of righteousness. Now, again, this idea, depending on which historical example you want to look to, the idea of these Roman soldiers on their breastplate almost entirely throughout that kingdom's history, there was some insignia to, to, the, to Caesar. There was something that they were wearing there. Their shield had other armor and other things, a coat of arms and things that they were, they were projecting with that. But their breastplate, the thing that they wore over their chest, over their heart, over their life source, was that they belonged, they were fighting for Caesar. And so when we look at this idea of a breastplate of righteousness... We are saying, I am going to wear over my heart, over my soul, over my life source, righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. Now, notice I did not say righteousness is not right living, doing right, right? Because you can't ever do enough right to be in right standing with God. Righteousness comes by taking on what scripture calls the righteousness of Christ The only human being ever to live and walk on this earth who was without sin. He was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, but he did not sin. And he went to the cross, right? Died on a cross, hanging there as an innocent, blameless. Scripture calls him a blameless, innocent lamb who was slain, who was slaughtered for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so when God looks at us to find righteousness, he doesn't look at Jeremy, right? If I am to be found righteous, I have to be looked at by God the Father through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain this to you because I've never worn a breastplate, okay? Here's what I have worn. When I was younger, okay, my grandfather had a robe, all right? He had one of those, you know, robes that you put on after you get out of the shower. Well, I've never really understood that. There's never a phase in my day when I need to go from being naked to being kind of clothed. Right? Like when I get out of the shower, I dry off and then I'm like, I'm putting on clothes now. I don't need to walk around the house kind of half clothed. Like I just never, I've never understood that. If you have a robe, that's awesome. So my grandfather did. All right. So he had a robe. And I remember as a young boy that I, I would, I thought it was cool to put on his robe. Now here's why. My grandfather was short. Still is. If you look at a picture, I, I'm not extremely tall, but when you look at me beside my grandfather, I'm a giant. Right. He's always been that way. But so when I was kind of growing up, I was the tallest kid on my like five year old T-ball team. Never grew until like my senior year after that. But like as I'm growing, I thought it was cool that I could put on my grandfather's robe and it wasn't just humongous on me. Right. But it was big. It would the arms were longer than my arms. It would kind of drag the floor a little bit. Right. So when I'm putting on my grandfather's robe and I go like walking out into the house Here's the image that I have. This may not make any sense to you. The family that's looking at me sees me. But to even get to me, because I'm swallowed up in whatever terry cloth, they've got to look through something that is my grandfather's to see me. Okay? And here's what righteousness looks like. I take on the righteousness of Christ. 
I put on a, a righteous robe here that doesn't quite fit me. It doesn't look like me because I'm impure and I, I make mistakes and I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But when God the Father looks at me, I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness that says, God, if you want to see me, you want to see the identity that I carry, that I'm fighting for, that I'm claiming name of, you have to look through your son, Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ to see me. And so a part of the armor of God is the idea that I would wear the name, the identity, the righteousness, the right standing with God of his son, Jesus Christ. Earlier this year, I mean, very early in this year, I believe it was like the last Sunday of January. We were in Ephesians and this is the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The idea being very simply, I feel like I've kind of hit this idea, but here's the idea. When you believe in God... When you take the name of his son, Jesus Christ, on you, into your life, you say, I'm about the things you're about. I'm going to live in ways that honor you. I'm asking you to be savior of my life. Salvation comes to you. God seals you with himself. He puts his salvation stamp, his righteous name on your life. Next thing it says, Ephesians 6 again, and you, and you will be fitted and with, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, we've hit this idea pretty hard today. The idea that in, in this world, there's a lot going on that we can't find peace in. There's wars and, and there's all kinds of natural disasters. And there's, there's economic turmoil and job unrest and, and family discord. All kinds of things. But what we're to be fitted with, our feet to be fitted with, is, is readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, here's, here's how I, I, I'm teaching my kids that... You know, be careful little feet where you go, right? A lot of times the the places that we go, the places our feet carry us are places that are unknown. They're, They're places that may create fear or anxiety or worry. They carry us from our comfort of, of home or, or relationship or job or security or whatever it is. And our feet carry us not on their own. They, they can't make that decision themselves. We, we make those decisions, but they carry us into some places that may create unrest and, and take away our peace. And what we see here that Paul is saying to this church in Ephesus is that when you fit your feet with, according to God's word, the peace that passes all understanding. When you understand, according to John sixteen thirty three, that in this world there will be trouble, there will be tribulation. But take heart or have peace in your heart. I have overcome the world. You are equipped to walk in the world and to be in this world and understand that the peace of God is available to you to fight against everything that you'll face. Back to the, to the armor of God. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, this is the only part of this passage that talks about the weapons of the enemy. You will take, you'll be able to stand up against the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we're going to come back to that in just a minute because we're going to talk about our enemy. So we'll come back to that. This is what it says. Take the helmet of salvation. We reference this with truth, but there's the idea that our minds are, are being targeted. 
That, that what we think we know, what we think we understand, what we think to be truth is coming under, uh, under, under, under it's being warred against. It's, it's coming in, in, in part of the battle that we're fighting that, that our minds and, and, and the things that we thought was true and the things that we've been taught, those, those are being kind of shot at, right? And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you wear on your head the helmet of salvation. You be assured in the one thing that matters as it relates to your right standing with God, that's the salvation found through Jesus Christ. You protect your mind. And even if there are things that, that, that you're confronted with and you can't reconcile, you come back to the idea of the truth of God's salvation message. The helmet of salvation. The last thing is this, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this is, we referenced a second ago about the enemy's uh, offensive uh, weapons. This is the only place here that we're given an offensive weapon. A sword. Everything else that's described here is a defensive piece. Right? We're protecting something. We're rebutting the things that the enemy would come against us with. But here we have the sword, and it's the sword of the Spirit, and it's spelled out for us what that sword of the Spirit is. I'm thankful that, that this is included because there would be a lot of uh, trying to figure out what the sword of the Spirit actually was. But it said, which is the word of God? You have a weapon available to you. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what the enemy would throw at you, you have a weapon to fight against the enemy with. Now, let me just give you some really practical ideas here for how you can use this. Because I, I, I hear from time to time people that talk to me and they say, you know, when I read the Bible, I can't really find some of the things that I'm looking for. You know, I, I want to be able to, to quote a scripture when somebody asks me a question or when I'm really facing, you know, temptation. Or I'm really facing fear or worry or anxiety when I'm really facing some specific issue. I, I don't know how to, how to use God's word to fight against that. Now, let me give you some really practical things, okay? I would say get you a study Bible. If you can, that has, you know, an index in the back. Most Bibles now have some type of index that will give you the idea, the, the opportunity to look up specific words or phrases or categories like fear, like temptation, like sin. And you can look at those and you can find scriptures in the Bible that specifically speak to those issues. Now, if you say, well, I don't have that Bible. I don't know how to find that. Let me give you another one. Google it. Right. I mean, you just go to your computer and you just type in scriptures on fear, scriptures on marriage, scriptures on my kids, scripture. And, and you can Google that. And what you'll find now, I encourage you, you find something on there. You only trust like 82% of the stuff you find on. I just made that statistic up. But like what I'm saying is you want to then when you find a scripture, you want to open your Bible and you want to read and go, oh, yeah, that does say that. And not some random thing I found on the Internet. Right. But you find, you know, you'll find a website that may have 20 scriptures on the peace of God that's available to you. You may find, you know, a website that has 50 scriptures about how to overcome sin or temptation in the world. And then what you can do is you take those scriptures that you find, and I encourage you, write them down. Write them down, put them in your car, put them on your mirror, put them in your house, put them in your cubicle, put them on your computer monitor. Find a way to, 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 to be able to look at those regularly memorize some of them, put them in your heart and your mind so that when the enemy would come against you or when you're facing a really bad time in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids, you can immediately jump to God's word and be able to quote something that God gives you as an offensive weapon against the schemes of the enemy to destroy your life. And so you've got some very practical things that you can do. And I would encourage you, we're going to talk about the idea of others helping you in a minute, but I would encourage you, if you're going through something, don't try to fight it alone. 
Find somebody that you've got in your life that can help you to, 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 to encourage you. They'll, they'll, they'll text you scriptures. I had a, a member of my family a, a while back that was really fighting some fear. And I just felt led of God for just two or three days in a row just to, to text them some scriptures that I found on fear. And just text, hey, you know, this is what it says in, in blah, 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 whatever. And just text that so that wherever they were at in that moment, they could look at their phone and they could go, yeah, that's what God's word says. I don't have to be afraid. I encourage you to do that because that's a weapon that we have available to us to fight against the schemes of the enemy. Now, we do have an enemy. Verse 12 of the passage that we read, this is not going to be on the screen, it already was, but this is what it says. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We do have an enemy. We talked about him being introduced in Genesis chapter 3. A study of a few years ago, 86% of people in the United States said that they believed that God was a real person or being. But less than 50% said that they believed that the devil or Satan was a real person or being. They just thought, you know, he was some ambiguous idea of evil in the world. Let me just tell you, according to God's word, this is a real person. This is a real force that we're fighting against. This is not some ambiguous thing that all bad things happen because of this evil that's going. No, we believe that we have a specific enemy that is fighting against and warring against us. I ran across this from a pastor out in Seattle, Washington, by the name of Mark Driscoll. And this is what he said. From the opening to the closing pages of Scripture, Satan is presented as an enemy of God and subsequently an enemy of God's people. He is named in a variety of ways, including the devil, dragon, serpent, enemy, tempter, murderer, father of lies, adversary, accuser, destroyer, and the evil one all throughout scripture. But here's the bottom line for me and you today. Satan is real and he is attempting to war against us. This is what it says in first Peter chapter five. This will be up on the screens. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to come back to what we skipped a minute ago. We're told that the the weapon that he has to fight against you and I are flaming arrows. Now again, this is is some verbiage that the people of Ephesus who received this letter from Paul would be accustomed to. This was uh, the flaming arrows, and if you've seen you know, movies from, from this time period uh, of, of Scripture or sometime around there, you see that before there were guns and tanks, and you had you know, archers that would be a part of the, the, the army, the cavalry that was at war with some nation or some force, and so they would shoot these arrows. And then somebody came up with the great idea, let's light the arrows on fire. You know, If we don't hit them with an arrow, but we hit them with the fire, that's good too, Right? And so the enemy is, is given, according to Paul here in Ephesians 6, the weapon of flaming arrows. But look at this in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Th- these are some, some things that the enemy uses that, I, that I'll, I'll just call kind of flaming arrow tools that the enemy uses to fight against or to war against us. This is what it says in 1 John 2. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, the world is a word that is used throughout Scripture to talk about the evil that exists apart from God. 
And so what we have here is we have a scripture that talks about three specific things that are apart from God that war against us or that are tools of the enemy to, to lead us astray. And here's just kind of three definitions, unpacking those things a little bit. It says the world is the domain of the lust of the flesh, which is the sinful longings for physical pleasures. Everything from gluttony to drunkenness to sexual sin to chemical highs. Number two, the world is the place devoted to the lust of the eyes, where the sinful longing for coveted possession manifests itself in everything from advertising to marketing to pornography. And number three, the world is where the boastful pride of life is commended and haughty selfish ambition is considered a virtue rather than a vice. Now, things that we see throughout those three things there of themselves are not necessarily evil. Advertising is not necessarily evil. Marketing is not necessarily evil. Ambition is not necessarily evil. But those are things that the deceiver uses to war against us and to lead us astray and to lead us towards things that are not of God. And so let's go back to Ephesians 6 to look at the armor of God and look at the the defense mechanism we have against the one weapon that is accredited to the enemy. This is what it says in Ephesians 6, 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith. So even though the only offensive weapon we have to fight against the enemy where we're the one on offense, we do have a weapon as it relates to the enemy because we can extinguish his flaming arrows through the shield of faith. Now, I want him to throw a picture up there. This is going to be a picture, and I'm going to, I'm going to spend a couple minutes on this picture. But this is, this is one I just found on Google, right? This is not from, it, it's not up to date. This is probably last Thursday, okay? So... These are some guys holding a shield or some shields that were, you know, somewhat, uh, they would be a part of the time period that we're reading about here that Paul is referencing. They're holding up in a formation here that's called the tortoise shell, these shields, and they're protecting against the flaming arrows of the enemy. This is how they would defend themselves against the flaming arrows. If the enemy was across the battlefield and they were shooting flaming arrows, this is the formation that they would get in to protect themselves from that weapon of choice of their enemy. Now, you and I, we, we, we can live this out, how? Through faith. That the enemy will use deception like he did with Eve. He'll use the chaos of, of the world. He'll use temptation and sin as an arrow to shoot against you. He'll use fear and anxiety. He'll use all kinds of things to shoot at you. And what do you have to defend against that? You have faith. You have the faith that you, you claim to profess In God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, you have faith to fight against those things. So every time that you're told, hey, you're not good enough, you don't measure up. Every time you're told if you do this, which is sinful, it'll be better than what you have that is not sinful. Anytime that you're told that you need to worry and fear about these things. Anytime you're told that you should cheat on these things or break covenant. Anytime you're told and you're just, there's deception and chaos and sin that's being projected at you. You have the faith that you have in God that says greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You say, I have faith in a God who existed at the beginning of this story. He will exist at the end of this story. And I get to play a part in this moment. But momentary pleasure is not enough to rob me from an eternity with my creator. Now, I want to go back to that picture. And I want to kind of hang here for just a second. It is kind of a life verse, life motto for me. 
that this is a really safe place. But most of the time where Christians find themselves is not in this kind of setting. They find themselves all by themselves. Feeling like they've got nobody else. Trying to defend against everything that they see and some things they can't with with the shield that they have. And they feel ill-equipped. And they feel like they're going to be overcome. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is going to be on the screen, is my favorite verse. If you come to my office, I got a little, little you know, nameplate there that my wife got me. It says my name, and then right under that it says 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And this is what it says. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. You could live on that one sentence right there. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. All right, so there's so much here and I could preach for a whole week on this, but let me give you just three or four quick points and then we're going to jump back into what I'm actually preaching today. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, here's what that means. In this room, the temptations that you're struggling with right now, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but the enemy would love to get you to think that nobody understands what you're facing. The enemy would try to make you believe and get you to think that you can't tell anybody, you can't lean on anybody, you can't ask anybody to help hold you accountable or to to ask you hard questions. You can't express yourself to others because what are they going to think about you? Nobody would think that. Nobody that says they're a Christian would think those things or struggle with those things or be tempted in that way. But this is what the truth of God's word says to us in 1 Corinthians. The temptations that you're facing, one translation says they're common to man. It means that the guy sitting beside you may not be struggling with the same thing, but the lady across the room is. It means that somebody in this room or somebody on your job or somebody in your home or somebody in the kingdom of God, the family of God, the body of Christ is struggling with the same things you are. Now throw that picture back up there, Brian. The problem for you and I is that we would find ourselves off by ourselves trying to protect against all the things that we're afraid the enemy's throwing at us. When really, in reality, we need to have other people in our lives that are protecting the part of us we can't see. Right? That's what the body of Christ is. Do you know that there's no part of this armor that protects your back? Not one part. You got something on your head. You got all this stuff on your front. And you're protecting out front. And you got a sword out front. Nobody's got your back if you're by yourself. Christianity is not meant to live alone. It's not meant to be lived in isolation. It's why I love the church. You know, we'll have arguments all day with people that say, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. That's probably true, but why would you want to? Why would you not want to be a part of a body of Christ, a family of believers? Why would you not want to be in a life group? This is not a sales pitch. This is an honest question. I get scheduled, I get business, I know that. I'm in a life group. It's, it's something i got to work around a lot of times to get there. But I want to be in relationship with other people that look at me and say, listen, there's a part of your life that you may not see, but I've got your back. And when the flaming arrows of the enemy come and you're here, I've got this side here. And I'm going to be standing here protecting you. We have our faith and we have community, I believe, to help defend against the snares of the enemy. Really quick, let's look through the last couple things that I want us to look at. We've talked about the armor that we have available to us. We've talked about the enemy that's fighting against us. But the last two things are the most important. The, 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 the third thing I want you to know about today should probably be the first and most important. God. Just one word. God. Did you read what we read in Ephesians chapter 6? Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God 13 put on the full armor of God 
Stand firm. Verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Most of us have been living our lives attempting to defeat the enemy of our own power. It's not going to work. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the things that we can see and the things that we can maybe overpower ourselves. We wrestle against spirits and authorities and powers. And I know that may seem like a really weird and, and kind of freaky thing. But let me just tell you the great thing that you have, the trump card that you have is God. That you've tried to be strong in your job and strong in your finances and strong in your really good devotional life. And you've tried to be strong in your prayer life and strong in, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. It's his power that overcomes the enemy. It's his power that allows us to find victory in, in, in the battles that we're fighting against the, the devil. It's not our own power. It's not our own devices. It's not our own you know, game plan that we're trying to figure out, which we talked about last week. It's the mission of God, the plan of God, the story of God, the power of God. If we'll be a part of what he's doing in the world. And here's just a couple of truths that I wrote down. And I wrote these down this morning, if we're being honest. As I was reading through my notes, this just kind of just came to me. I believe this was, was the Lord. I, I used to think when I was growing up, I grew up in the church, young person, teenager, college student, young adult, grew up in the church. And I had in my mind kind of the David and Goliath battle scene, but it was God and the devil. You know, there's two equal sides warring against one another and who knows how it's going to turn out and we're not really sure and one seems stronger, one seems like they're winning part of the time. That's not the truth. It is not two equal sides fighting against each other. God's more powerful than the devil. God's more powerful than the enemy that we're fighting. I already quoted, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Let me just give you a couple, three quick things that I wrote down this morning. God is omnipotent. What that means is God is all-powerful according to his word. The devil is not. God is omnipresent. It means that God is present everywhere at all times. The devil is not. God is omniscient. He knows all things. The devil does not. We have on our side an all-knowing all-powerful, ever-present God fighting against a very weak and meager enemy as it relates to the power of Almighty God. And so when you're facing the enemy and you think, man, how am I ever going to get through it? How am I ever going to stand up against him? How am I ever going to find victory in this? You stand on the power of God. So we've looked at armor. We've looked at the enemy. We've looked at God, and I want to tell you how when you put all those things together, what that equals. If we've got a math equation, all those things on the left side of the equation, what does it equal on the right? Victory. James 4 and 7 says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is victory available to you, no matter how much you think the devil's got your number. No matter how much you think, I don't know if I can keep fighting. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand up underneath this any longer. We referenced in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but will provide a way for you to stand up underneath it and to find a way of escape. There's always a way for you to be victorious when you align yourself with God. 
I want to read, I referenced just a few minutes ago this, this excerpt of, from Pastor Mark Driscoll in Seattle. I ran across this resource that he had in my preparation this week, and, and this was how he concluded that, and I just thought this was so powerful. He said, as C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils of the world. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Ultimately, we're far better served by knowing the God who defeated Satan, the Lord who rules over demons, and the only one with the power to give life, take it away, and give it back again even better than before. You know, there, we, we do run those two extremes. And, and again, as I was preparing, I was talking to a lot of people about my, my struggle in the preparation phase of this message. You either underplay the enemy that we do fight and minimize how some of us would walk out of here today thinking about the enemy, that, we, that, he's, that he's powerless and, and he can't fight against us. He does. He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to kill you and destroy you. That's the truth. The other extreme is that we would focus so much on the enemy that we face that we would lose in all of this that God is more powerful than that enemy. And that God, and through him, we find victory in the story. I want to I close with this. In the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, which were the covenant people of God, were coming out of Egypt. They've already come out of Egypt, and they've spent years in the desert. I, I love the story of the children of Israel. I reference it a lot. So if you've been with us for a while, you've, you've probably heard me tell pieces of this story all along the way. But they've been in the desert, and Moses, who was their leader, who helped lead them out of captivity, is not going to be the one to lead them into the promised land. God had promised to them a specific land that was out in front of them. So Egypt's behind them. The promised land is before them, and some spies had already gone into the promised land to tell them what to anticipate. And the word that came back was this. When you get there, yeah, it's great. It's a land that flows with milk and honey and all the things that you've heard. It's, it, there's amazing you know, fruit for us to, to eat in, and, and, and it's going to be awesome. But there's giants in the land. We're going to face battles. We're going to have to fight battles. And, and many of the spies that returned said they're going to defeat us. And Moses is now removed from power, and a new man is in charge, and his name is Joshua. And Joshua is standing on the edge of, of the body of water that they must cross to get into the promised land. And tomorrow, they're going to go across. They're going to enter into this promised land, and they're going to find all the spoils that God has promised to them, but they're also going to find an enemy. And they're going to find an enemy that, by all accounts, is, is stronger than them, bigger than them. And, and these are not warring people. If you look at their history, they had been slaves who were subservient to those that were above them. They were, they, were, they were servants to their masters. Everything was provided to them. If they raised up, they were killed. So these were meek and mild people. And now for the last 40 years, they've spent time in the desert pretty much alone. They're in a place where God is reconciling the nation to himself. He's forming and creating in them a people that will honor him in the way that they live. But they're not warring people. They're not an army of people. They're just a big group of people that's trying to take in, uh, get into the land that God's given to them. And God says to Joshua, this new leader, 
just before they cross over into the promised land. These really cool three things. He actually is very repetitive. He says this. Be strong and courageous. He repeats himself later and says, be strong and courageous. And to make sure that Joshua got it, he repeats himself just a little while longer and says, be strong and very courageous. And here's what he promised him each time. He says, be strong and courageous because I was with you back then. He said, be strong and courageous because I'm going before you when you cross over. Be strong and courageous because everywhere that you set your foot, I've already given it to you. That's what he said to him. He says, be strong and courageous because I was with you back there when you fought those battles you didn't think you were going to win either. When you came out of, you know, the the waters that had been dried up and Pharaoh's armies chasing after you, you didn't know how you were going to make it then either and I was there. He says, be strong and courageous because when you cross over tomorrow, I'm already there. You don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do. And he says, be strong and courageous because when you get there, every place that you've put your foot, it is given to you. What does that look like for me and you? You and I have a past. You and I have a future. And you and I have a lot of uncertainty. And here is the promise of God today. Be strong and courageous because God is with you. Spiritual warfare, the battles that you face, those things shouldn't scare you. They're real. But I've said it a couple of times and I want to make sure that you leave here with this truth. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. I want to ask the band to come. I don't know what you walked in today carrying in your life. I don't know what you walked in today thinking about spiritual warfare and the things of the spirit and the things of the other worlds and all these. I don't know what you walked in thinking about those things. And, and it, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I would... I would Caution you to seek the word of God and what God's word says to you about the enemy that we face and the, the equipment that we have to fight against that enemy. Pastor Mark's going to come next week and he's going to talk to us about, about prayer and, and praying in the spirit and praying the power of God's spirit and the things that we face and fight in the world. But the number one thing that I want you to leave with today is knowing that in God we have victory. That's the truth. I mean, I like to win. I'm really, really competitive. I mean, most of the guys on our church softball team were excited that we finished, you know, with not a losing record. I wanted to win every game. I love to win. I'm, I'm extremely competitive. It's why I beat you to the back door every day. I love to win, right? But the reality for all of us is that if we enter into a relationship with God kind of half-heartedly, if we say, hey, you know, I, I want to I win, I want to be successful, I want to find peace and joy in life, I want to get to heaven as opposed to going to hell or wh- however all that works. If we just kind of enter into this half-heartedly, not realizing that there is a war going on for your soul, that there's a battle for you. If we enter into it without that realization, my fear is that we would 
do ourselves a disservice. And we would be ill-equipped ourselves to play the part, to fight the battle. But here's the equipment you need. God. It's His armor. It's what Ephesians 6 tells us. It's the armor of God. It's His power. It's His might. And so when you leave here today, what I want you to do is not cowering down, worried about how the enemy may fight against you. I want you to be aware of that. I want you to know it may come. I want you to be in community with other people, in relationship with other people that are caring for you and they've got your back and they're protecting you. I want you to do all those things, but I want you to walk out of here today knowing that you can have victory through Jesus Christ because of the power of God in your life. And so what I want you to make sure when you leave here is that you've got the power of God. That God lives inside of you, that you are in relationship with him and that you are not kind of doing this thing on the fly, but that you are attempting to take on the whole armor of God to equip yourself with truth and salvation and his righteousness and peace and ultimately our faith and the word of God. So that when you engage in whatever this world would throw at you, you don't have to be afraid. You've got the peace of God. You don't have to worry about what tomorrow may hold. You wear on your head the salvation of Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about what's truth and what's not and what the campaigns are telling you and who's telling this and what's going on in the news because you know that you are girded with the, the belt of truth, absolute truth in God. And that people may look at you and they may not know who you are and how you fit into all this, but you wear on you the identity, the righteousness, the right standing before God because of His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me today, everyone in the room. I've asked the band to come and they're going to sing a song. And this is going to kind of be our response, but I'm not asking you just to sing. I'm not asking you just to stand there quietly. I'm not asking you just to lift your hands or close your eyes. I'm asking you to use this moment as a commitment of your heart just stretched out, crying out to God that says, God, I want the victory that's available to me through you. I want to be equipped to fight the battles that I'm going to fight. I want the enemy to know that I know you're more powerful than him. And I've been walking in fear. I've been walking just afraid that I was not going to be equipped. But God, you equip me. And so I'll stand with you in victory because you've already won the battle. I want to pray a short prayer. And when I conclude that prayer, I'm just going to ask the band to play. I want you to sing along. I want you to worship along. But really, it's consecrating your heart. To God the Father. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to look to your word. And I know this is a huge subject. I get that. I've wrestled with it myself for more than a week. But God, my prayer is today that if we if we're confused about anything, the one thing that we walk away with knowing is that you win. And if we want to win, we've got to be with you. We've got to have you in our lives. We've got to be living lives that honor you, that connect us to you. We've got to equip ourselves with the things that you've given to us, the truth and the salvation, the faith, the righteousness and right standing, God, the, the, the word of God that we have that you've given to us through your word. And so, God, we'll put those things into action in our lives so that we can live lives of victory and not of defeat. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All I am is yours, Lord. All I am is yours. 
you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands right now? If you're not comfortable, that's okay. This is just a, a, it's the international sign of surrender. And so we just lift our hands to say, God, we're surrendered to you. Everything that we have is yours. Everything that we are is yours. And God, as we lift our hands today, I pray that you would help us to see that we are surrendered to you only. There's nothing else in this world that we have to surrender to. We are surrendered to you. You do the work in our life and you do the work in this world. And so, God, I pray that we would be equipped with all the things that you've given to us, all the tools of your arsenal to help play this part that you've given to us, the story you're writing in the world. But, God, it's your story and it's your power that wins the battle. So, God, today, help us to know that it is a battle, that life's not always going to be fun. We are in a war, but, God, it's a war that you win. Help us to align our lives to you. Help us to surrender to you that everything we have is yours. And God, in that, we will find victory today. We thank you for that victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.